Love me two times, girl. <laughs> one for tomorrow, one more today. Bam, bam, bam. <laughs> Love me two times. Bam, down away. Beep, beep, beep. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to What Is Goat. My name is John Severn Napolillo, alongside, as always, co-host Jamie Fry. Yo, what up, what up? <laughs> what up, Jamie? And we have, as our esteemed guest today, our good friend, formerly of Secretly Canadian, Secretly Group, currently of AWOL, Mr. Ilya Zenger. Hello. Hello. <laughs> uh, so today, we are talking about one of the best-selling artists of all time, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees, legendary classic rock act, the Doors. Jamie, are you a Doors fan? I have to say that I am a lifelong Doors fan. The self-titled Doors record is a CD or tape. I'm not even sure, but I heard it when I was very young. And I would say that Jim Morrison would be one of my earliest musical influences. Now, I know that maybe seems ridiculous now, but when I was just learning what a rock and roll band was and what rock music was... One of the things that really got to me was this first Doors record, specifically uh, Break On Through to the Other Side, I think was one of my favorite songs before I was a self-aware fan. You know, some I think that, John, you probably knew more about music when you were like little because your parents really had a lot of music going on. Yeah. But I didn't know a million things. The Doors were one of the first cool rock things that I ever liked personally. I think I first heard them... In the movie Forrest Gump, there's several Doors songs. Who's that? It's the Doors. Who are the Doors? I don't know. <laughs> this sounds like uh, who's on first. <laughs> anyway, that first Doors record, I think, is one of the best albums of the 60s. I think it's one of the best uh, rock and roll records of all time. The rest of the Doors music, I'd say I like, to I tolerate it. Some of it is stupid. Rock critics don't like the Doors hate Jim Morrison. A lot of people think Jim Morrison is an idiot and that the doors is nonsense, including Lester Banks. Um, Zinger and I are, are nodding along. We are both, <laughs> I, I'll let Zinger speak for himself, but I, uh, despite what people may think from listening to the podcast, I don't really hate that many bands. I would say I could probably count on my fingers the amount of bands I truly hate and the doors is at the, they're, they're at the top of that list. I, I've always hated the doors. Uh, Zinger, are you a fan of The Doors? Uh, I'm formerly a fan of The Doors. Oh, I, I see. am. You're reformed. I'm reformed. Yeah, I've 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 gone through the other side, but I you broke on yeah, through. I, 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 I maybe even <laughs> broke on through. I am much like Jamie when I was young, when I was a kid, and I heard The Doors. I thought it was incredible music, uh, but I also thought that of a lot of things. And eventually, as time passed, I listened to them less and less, and. There's definitely some influence there of, of, you know, like rock critics and people just not thinking that they're cool anymore. Uh, but like in preparation for this podcast, listening to them again, uh, it definitely like assured me that, yes, they're, they're not good. <laughs> like they're not good. I, I, I tried. I like listened to every single album. I went through it all. I even and I did go through the like the rock critics just to see like who wrote about them. Yeah. Lester Bangs hated them. Uh, Robert Criscow like kind of liked some shit, but not really. Yeah, no, not not a fan. Not I think, a fan anymore. I think what's interesting about um, 
what we're doing here today too is that this is going to be one of the first bands we talk about um where none of us really have much firsthand experience. We were, none of us were there, certainly. I mean, we talked about Nirvana, even in our, we have some childhood memories of that. And even something like Queen, they are not still together in the form they were, but especially the movie Bohemian Rhapsody is very much present right now. They've still been touring with different singers through our lifetime, but the doors are really one of the first bands we're going to talk about that are a relic. We were speaking about completely out of time. And I wonder how that's going to impact it. My father used to say to me about certain bands from the 60s, especially those bands like The Doors that I can't stand. He would say, oh, you just had to be there. <laughs> that's, I, I was I was just told that yesterday by my wife's father. He's like, as a 16 year old, when that record came out, when that first record came out like that changed your life, especially like Robbie Krieger's guitar playing, which now I listen to and I'm like. I mean, it's good, it's fine, <laughs> but you know, 50 years or, so, or 40 something years have passed. Uh, but I guess at that time it was revelatory enough. I had a DVD of the Ed Sullivan show with a lot of uh, pertinent performances on Ed Sullivan, right? So this had the Supremes, the Beach Boys, Love and Spoonful, the Mamas and the Papas, a lot of the prevalent groups of the 60s. And I watched the whole thing and Here's the impression I got watching The Doors against the music of this time is that The Doors were the absolute um, seed of any punk or heavy music because they come off as so dark and weird and fucked up and transgressive in comparison. Now, maybe this doesn't hold up today, but in comparison to... Every other group that was on this DVD, and it was all the other popular, um, pretty much American groups, and the Doors seem demented on the group. And Jim Morrison is the only person that actually came off like a rock singer. Everything else was cool, obviously, like amazing music, but it almost seemed like more like a rehearsed... Um, play of a performance whereas Jim Morrison and the other doors too come off like actual summoning of chaos I think they're playing either light my fire or break on through on Ed Sullivan because also when I was a kid I loved Black Sabbath I love Metallica I like music that is transgressive I think that they were they stuck out as the only group that seemed that way of any of the 60s groups. Maybe, maybe, especially if you're watching the Ed Sullivan show, but then like, like, especially, and again, this is colored by like listening to them recently and like reading about them. Like they were kind of known as like a pub band or kind of like a bar band. And that's, they went around in LA playing a lot of clubs, playing a lot of like bars. Um, and in a way that's kind of what they sounded like. They obviously did a lot of like blues numbers uh, in their own way. Uh, and that, that stuff especially doesn't age very well. Like their version of like backdoor man is like, is, is God awful. Can some I, people what? like it. Can yeah, I, some wait. people like it, Come but I cannot, on. I can't listen Can to I tell shit. you, can I tell you something? So I have, I, I always have a, a handful of notes in front of me and, and Zinger just walked in a couple of minutes ago. We haven't discussed anything yet. I literally would like to read from the bottom of this page of notes that says, it sounds like some terrible bar band. So uh, I do think that DNA is in there, but I'm yeah. not hearing anything that sounds inspired to my mind. It sounds like, it, it doesn't sound like a great local band. It sounds like some guy playing in the corner to me. 
That's ridiculous. Do you know what I found? Do you know what <laughs> I found out on. today? You know who they were following around at that time in that scene, uh, and they opened up for a couple of times. Love. Oh yeah. Who right. who in retrospect are like a far more interesting band with with at least one incredible like classic album, mm-hmm. and you know like a few things here and there, and maybe a little more like broke. And not like a bar band the way uh, the Doors were, mm-hmm. and that maybe helped them last a little, a little more. But also, like I'm sure we'll get more into it. And, you know, their lyrics weren't awful, <laughs> and, and the Doors had awful lyrics. Jimmy's upset. <laughs> I think the the idea that Jim Morrison's lyrics are stupid and uh, Love's lyrics are smart is a rewrite of rock history from the rock critic. I think that both lyrics are silly in both <laughs> bands. I don't think that um, Arthur Lee's lyrics are particularly like, uh, I don't I don't think they like convey a high-minded story. I think they're both kind of psychedelic lyrics, things that sound cool, things that are cribbed from, you know, beat poets and uh, jazz kind of lingo. I think both were kind of into that. Um, that type of thing, stream of consciousness. Basically, I think that both as lyricists were trying to imitate Bob Dylan's more uh, free association kind of lyrics, and then also Ginsburg, Kerouac, Ferlinghetti, who were every hip person was into sure. these people but in, I'm su- in, in 1967. But I'm surprised to sure. hear you say that you think the Doors lyrics are silly because I think the average Doors fan looks to Jim Morrison as a poet, as a really inspired lyricist. I certainly don't feel that way. I think the lyrics are, are borderline embarrassing. But I, but why do you think they are held in that esteem? I understand why people make fun of Jim Morrison's lyrics. Now, he's not my favorite lyricist at all. The lyrics are not exactly why I like The Doors. I like some of his lyrics. I think that the rock lyric is kind of bad poetry. And I think that as a lyricist, he was reading a lot of poetry. I think he was more interested in the lyrics of poets than rock and roll lyrics because he was a poet, not a rock and roll musician. He was a poet who was crazy and they put him on stage and it turned out that he uh, had what I would call a very, very good rock and roll voice. Uh, I will, yes, I will say that he, he does have like a really good voice. Yeah. I think I that, that Jim Morrison outsings almost every rock singer. Counterpoint. Jim Morrison has a terrible voice. <laughs> I, I want to go back for a second because Jamie, what you were saying about the Ed Sullivan stuff, I think that holds a lot of weight and that's really interesting. And that helps you get back into a moment in history. It helps you understand it in context. When you see it next to the Supremes, you can say, wow, this, uh, what Jim Morrison's doing and the pop music of the time, this is night and day. And, and I get that. But speaking out of time, when I was a kid, I may have known who the Doors were to some degree. I knew a few songs, but I didn't know any background or history about them. I thought it was lounge music. I thought Jim Morrison was the same as uh, a Tom Jones or someone <laughs> like that. Because when I hear the Doors... I don't hear anything that sounds like Mick Jagger or John Lennon or Lou Reed. I hear someone that sounds like they're in Las Vegas somewhere. I mean, I think that as a vocalist, he has two threads. One is that he actually croons 
in the, like a Sinatra type way. He's he's a he is a he is a strong baritone that has like a good croon to him. Something like Moonlight Drive. He sings very very pretty on, but he's also one of the first guys who yelled. A dinosaur's trying to run. It's trying to hide. You know, he was he was yelling. In fact, I would say I would say that if you like Iggy Pop at all, his vocal style is Jim Morrison. I see, and a, he'll tell you that. I see a similarity there, but I'm also going to uh, repeat something. <laughs> I'm going to repeat something that you said on a past episode, which is sometimes you just got to come with the real deal. And I can only imagine if we're in the late 60s and early 70s, and I have my choice of what to put on, it's absolutely going to be Iggy and the Stooges every time if I want anything that's in this realm at all. And I think you're right. There's a similarity. But one is filled with fun and excitement and energy that cannot be contained. And the other is a guy who sounds like he's going to pass out at any second. But it's also, but it's also like it's, it's Jim Morrison howling and doing his beat poetry and pretending he's a Native American. If you've ever read his book of poetry, it's, it's fucking awful. Wait, I need some context for that. I don't know what that means. Oh, he has, he has a book of poetry and it's, it's awful. It's just, this is called what is goat. No one thinks that poetry is goat. I disagree. Some poetry. Oh no, his poetry isn't goat. Some poetry is goat. We won't get into that. But he thinks, what's the Native American thing? He just has like all the, he has this book of poetry that I, I, I read a little bit of. I didn't finish when I was like 17 or whatever, because again, I love the door. And I looked at it and there's all this stuff about like, like, like to the American Indian. It's just all this stuff. Like, and I feel like the sixties, the late sixties, especially had this like obsession, like white hippies just had this obsession with like native Americans and native American art and shit like that. And I think Jim Morrison was kind of part of that. Um, this like celestial idea. Anyway, I can't like quote any of the poetry to you, but it existed. Uh, go ahead, James. I just looked at the, um, Wikipedia (laughs) Just, just for fun to see, is Jim Morrison Native American? No, at no, all? no. That's and here, <laughs> and here is what it says on Wikipedia: <laughs> His ancestors were Scottish, Irish, and English. <laughs> I'm shocked. So, <laughs> anyway, my point, my point with the the the, um, the cognitive dissonance of the Doors is that it's Jim Morrison howling and trying to do this like drunk bard thing, and behind them is a band that's basically trying to do jazz fusion. And he just he just won't let them, and like they rock, and, they, and like they he them. and like they rock, but like despite themselves. And honestly, <laughs> some of the best music the Doors made that I liked and still can kind of come back to is the sort of like where they they went into jazz. Riders on the Storm is is to this day like a song I can listen to and not hate. L.A. Woman I won't totally hate, you know, like like I can listen to that. And then the songs where they like rock, they they do sound like lounge singers a little like they sound like the the tracking shot in a movie where someone's driving to las vegas you know that's what the doors <laughs> sound like permanently city limit i think manzarek ray manzarek the organist obviously the organ player in the rock band is a dated sound the zombies have as much organ as the doors and they can't the zombies i think may precede the doors very briefly uh by like two years i think that yeah. And I think songs like Touch Me, I can see why you would think it's corny with the like sort of like vampy theatrical piano. On the other hand, Robbie Krieger, of all the guitar gods of the 60s, I kind of think of him as someone who can play riffs that are cool and can improvise in a jazz area 
while also like using the blues while also using some sort of like European and gypsy kind of influences and rock and roll in a way that is a little advanced for the sixties guitarists. Cause a lot of people were still stuck on the electric blues and the doors. I know you keep saying bar band, like it's derogatory. That is not derogatory <laughs> to me. I want the, the rock band to sound like they're playing in a bar. I think the thing that makes them sound like a regular band is probably the part that I like the most where they kind of just sound like blowing off riffs, like jamming in a hot, sweaty club, which the first record sounds very much to me like that. And then a few other things. But Krieger, I think, leads the band in this kind of like kind of a dirty territory sometimes and then sometimes in a cool jazz territory. And I feel like he precedes some other guitar players I love, like Tom Verlaine, who like Tom, like Tom Verlaine also listened to a lot of Coltrane and listened to Sun Ra and music like that and kind of did rock solos with a heady feel that isn't like the same as like a more hippy dippy guitarist like Garcia or Santana and isn't just like someone like Clapton wanking on the blues. I think Robbie Krieger is goat and deserves a lot of credit. I guess I disagree with you there because I, I think there's another side entirely. Sure, you can make the comparison to something like The Grateful Dead and you can say, well, maybe it's a little mellower in the same range, but there's so many 60s blues bands that do have that barroom feel that I listen to and I find exciting. I don't find it sedating. I, I Something like uh, Butterfield Blues Band or Janis Joplin with Big Brother and the Holding Company. This is also music that is attempting to do these sort of things in the same way that the doors were except to me they don't come off like like genre exercises they come off to me as 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 unbridled energy maybe fueled by tons of acid but it's it's just it feels like it could run off the rails and that's a feeling that when i listen to gets me really excited that's so interesting i feel i feel like we look at this exactly opposite because hmm. I think those two bands you mentioned just sound like some people playing the blues in a bar. Really? The Doors, to me, sound like an alternative rock group that tries a lot of different things and like gets weird, is more topically weird, don't just sing about drinking and sex. Both those bands you mentioned only sing about love, drinking, and sex. They but, don't really have any other topics than that. This is going to come off snobby. But <laughs> if suppo- This is if why me- I'm here. <laughs> if New Yorkers are supposed to be intellectually advanced and kind of dry and dark... And West Coast people are supposed to be more mellow and ethereal. Then the Doors are kind of the Velvet Underground over there. Ugh, they are they are the wow. weird they are the weird one in the batch to me. But here's the difference: as you've described, that experimentalism goes in a very defined direction, which is that of jazz. Whereas something like the Velvet Underground goes head first into what becomes punk rock. It is, let's play as loud and fast and as noisy as possible. And there are a few moments of that with The Doors, certainly. But the average Doors hit veers much more into something smoother. Yeah, like if you think about the bands that Velvet Underground influenced versus the bands that The Doors influenced, I really don't think the the bands that The Doors influenced were nearly as interesting or as good or 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 kind of had as much staying power as you know what the Velvet Underground. I just I think you're way wrong. I don't know why that's a difference here, but I think that you guys are looking at this as the way that people see the Doors now. Um, the Doors' influence on American rock and roll and maybe some other rock and roll, I think, is pretty huge. First of all, since Iggy Pop went from drums to vocals after seeing Jim Morrison in style, would basically make the Doors responsible for punk. 
Patty Smith also, and you you know maybe hates Patty Smith too. But Patty Smith also saw Jim Morrison play and decided that she could front her own band instead of just being a poet who sort of dabbled. She was like, I want a rock band. I could do this. So that's two people that are essential to American alternative music as a thread. Uh, one of the best bands in the history of punk, X, not only are influenced by The Doors and covered The Doors, Ray Manzarek uh, produced their first record. The one thing I love about The Doors is that because of Ray Manzarek, the album Los Angeles by X exists. They, yeah, and, and I, I think and, and Soul and Kitchen. Many other albums, no? I mean, many. I mean, yeah, he produced. produced, uh, he produced yeah, yeah, he produced other uh, punk and new wave records. The, yeah. the version of Soul Kitchen that X do on Los Angeles is one of my favorite covers of all time. So that it's makes one of the me, best X songs, to be honest. That makes me, you know, have to reevaluate the things I think, and and I still listen to The Doors, and I it does not connect with me. I don't get it. But I do have to say, well, if I love this song when somebody else does their version of it, there must be something I'm missing. So I am always open to that fact, even if I put on the doors today and I'm just so desperate for it to end. Well, I think the fact that the doors are one of the best selling bands of all time, you do have to consider their influence. Yes, I agree with you, J Man, on that. Like it's it's hard not to, you know, as as one of the most listened to bands uh the last forty years, you do have to consider that. I'm gonna go further with this. Again, if you don't like the Doors, you don't like the Doors. They're a polarizing group. Like, people love and hate the Doors. No one really has a no opinion on the Doors. Right. It's probably, of the godheads of classic rock, they might be the most polarizing. And Jim Morrison might be the person in this conversation, like really big rock stars, that most people are comfortable hating. However, my case that I keep making is that if you look at the American groups that actually become popular and sell a lot of records. The UK is much better at picking an interesting act and championing them. America is not. So in the best-selling American groups of all time, that would include like like the Eagles and Aerosmith uh, and Crosby, Stills, and Nash and stuff like that, the Doors are the weird transgressive one uh, in in that bunch. Meaning for, for an American group to become as popular as they did and be as weird as they are, I think is just, because to me it's like rock and roll is an outsider form, is a fringe form. And The Doors is weird music. It is It panders to fucking no one. That may be true, but I think we have to go back to the time period again because the pendulum swings. You're coming out of an era of music that is much safer and not taking his big risks. Then you hit, you know, the mid-60s, and the pendulum swings. And now, what becomes exciting and of interest to the American public is something new, is something different, is something experimental. And so then for the late 60s, maybe into the early 70s, you have much bigger hit records that are much stranger than anything you would have seen in the early 60s. And now you you mentioned, perfect example, the Eagles. The pendulum swings back. You hit the mid-70s. You have music that goes back to being rather safe, rather sanitized, and we go on and on, and then you get punk, and then and on and on. But I think that may say more about where the country is at at a given moment than it does even about the artist. You know, I'm sure there is there are people making outsider art in the early 60s. There are people making great outsider art in the mid-70s. 
But what the record-buying public is hungry for at any one moment often dictates how well something sells. Absolutely. I mean, I think that um, in the thread that we as people who were not alive at all in the 1960s, we all have this thread where it's like kind of like the, you know, the British invasion, the Motown sound, uh, the summer of love, and then things get dark. And then you get like great records like uh, Sticky Fingers. And um, there's a riot going on. There's a riot going on. Tonight's the night uh, where that thesis of 60s music starts to get kind of like mutated, transgressive and weird. 1967 self-titled Doors, same year as Velvet Underground and Nico. That to me is the real beginning of the exploration of darkness and transgression in rock music. Is the Velvet Underground and Nico five stars and much better than the Doors record? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but if you want to appreciate, something we can all but agree it, on. <laughs> but if you want to appreciate that moment, I would I would say there's no way of not including that record in that moment. And also, the feel of the record to me feels very much like that, where it's kind of like these sounds of blues and jazz and sort of like they were very similar to them. I, I really the, the, I, Van Morrison's them. They were kind of like taking the sound of them, which was like. Um, and this is Van Morrison's first Van group. Morrison's yeah. first band. And and I like them, but them are kind of a band where like, let's check out the blues and check out R&B <laughs> and like see what it's about. And it's kind of like that sound going haywire, you know, to me. I think it's it's that sound on like maybe an acid trip or maybe just like a bender, but that doesn't qualify it enough to me. Like The Doors, 1967, like... That is so incredibly dated and so boring. And there's just like no real interesting ideas. Even like listening to the end on there, which is maybe supposed to be the the very interesting transgressive like weird track. It's just not. It is just like it's just nothing is happening in it that's super interesting. That's it's not just, my favorite. It's just an, <laughs> it's just like an eight minute dirge. Uh, I, I just, I just find no, I, I've never looked at the doors. Even when I like them, I never looked at the doors as, as, oh, I'm listening to something dangerous and interesting and, you know, full of art. You know, I never thought of that. You know, I think of Velvet Underground as kind of an art band and I like that and it, and it forces me to like think a little more critically about what I'm listening to. The doors have never made me do that. And sure as a 16 or 17 year old, I wasn't like requiring that of my music, but as I got older, I did. And so like... I understand that there's maybe a baby boomer generation that like loves the doors, still loves them and, you know, bought all those records, you know, but they just don't last. A lot of those 60s bands, a lot of the bands that did well later on were boring in the first half of the 60s. You know what I mean? Like the Rolling Stones were kind of boring for the first half, you know, barring a couple of songs. The Beatles, you can just kind of let go of a couple of those you know, albums and you're not really going to like miss that much. I admit I don't have a huge knowledge of the doors, but I think in this one case it's useful, which is that when I listen to a whole host of doors songs on a playlist, I don't really have much of a, a grasp on the chronology. I don't know what's the first door song and what's from well, their second around or third for about record. Three, three, four but years. But there's what, five records, four records, five or six actually. And yeah. so if you listen to something that the Beatles made in 65 and then you listen to something they made in 66 67 68 you could wonder is this even the same band or the velvet underground's case velvet underground and nico comes out the same year as the first doors record by a year later on white light white heat 
They're basically unrecognizable. It, and then the next record is completely different than the one before that. That says so much to me about a band. It says so much to me about legacy. And those are also all happen to be records that you can listen to now and, and still hear for the first time and go, this is fucking crazy. This is really out there. This is weird. White Light, White Heat, still, if it came out today, would sound insane. And when I hear Break On Through or I hear Light My Fire, it, it sounds to me like Strawberry Alarm Clock. It sounds to me like a sort of uh, cliche of the 60s, not of the most emblematic, exciting, boundary-pushing parts of the 60s, and where you can look at that decade on either side. You can look at it as passe and as a joke, or you can look to it and say there was incredible, incredible boundary-pushing art being made. If I had a child and I was going to teach them about music or start them off, there's at no point in time would I ever be like, you should, this is the point in time where you should listen to the doors. It's very important. That you hear them. <laughs> like, no, you can definitely skip it. Like I listen to it, <laughs> but you can skip it. Like you're not going to miss anything. You're not going to miss anything. Watch, watch the movie or something. I don't know. Don't, I've never, don't, I've never I've seen, never the, seen movie. the movie either, but no? yeah, I no. love the movie. Yeah. Obviously, I love One the of the movie. few Val Kilmer movies I haven't seen. <laughs> oh, it is regarded as, as a good film, right? It's, it's a, Oliver Stone. Right? I think it's one of the only rock biopics that isn't a complete piece of shit to be totally honest. I thought you liked Bohemian Rhapsody. Not really. (laughs) No, I love The Doors. No, no, Bohemian Rhapsody sucks compared to The Doors. Bohemian Rhapsody is like a fucking Disney movie that's not that good compared to The Doors. And like... First, I, I can't believe that neither of you have seen the movie and we're having this conversation. I actually think that's <laughs> should have well, given us homework. We should have had a fun. Here, we, we should have had a fun. No, but you guys need to see the movies. They're gonna appreciate the doors a little better. <laughs> All right, um, I'll appreciate Val Kilmer a little better. I guess what I say is I don't, I don't, I would never say the doors are anywhere as good as the Beatles or the Stones or the Velvets. They're more of like a, they're more of a slice of time, obviously, than those bands. I would say that they're maybe. As good as a zombie, I actually wouldn't say that either. No, no way. No, the zombies are fantastic. I'm not, I'm not asking them to be as good as anyone. I'm asking them to like be lasting enough for me to like ever want to play a song. I would put again. that for like what you said about your kid. I would I would make sure my kid had the first Doors record. The other ones I would ditch. Their live shit is awesome. Um, something I was gonna bring up uh, is that Jim Morrison is a mimbo. This is one of Jamie's favorite terms. This is <laughs> this is something that I'm surprised it took five episodes of Goat for the word no, mimbo to come out. No, Did I, I say mimbo you already? Mentioned it before. Okay. Well, <laughs> maybe we cut it. I don't anyway, know. Anyway, <laughs> there's a thread in rock and roll that I love to point out called the mimbo. <laughs> wait, 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 wait! I have a question. Do you consider yourself a mimbo? No, I'm the opposite of a mimbo. <laughs> I'm a I'm a glasses guy. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm a glasses guy. In rock and roll, we have mimbos. And we have glasses, guys. Hold on, hold on. Second question. Is John a mimbo? No. <laughs> no. Is that because I just gave you a death stare? <laughs> he's not a glasses guy because he doesn't wear glasses. But he's not. No, John's not a mimbo. In the paradigm of pop and rock music, there are performers that kind of have rock appeal and then also have sex appeal to the point where sometimes there'll be an overlap between someone like, for example, like Ricky Nelson and Leaf Garrett were both people who ostensibly made rock music, rock pop music, who were teen idols. Now, Jim Morrison is somebody 
who had no intention of being a teen idol, but happens to fit the bill where he is absolutely a sex symbol of rock and roll. And because he is a little bit daft compared to a glasses guy, like whether whether he is an idiot or not, Jim Morrison, and I have made no argument that he's not an idiot thus far. <laughs> I don't care if he's an idiot or not because it being it, it doesn't really matter. Is he as smart as Lou Reed? No. Is he as good as Lou Reed? No. Lou Reed is ostensibly a glasses guy, whether he wears glasses or not. He put on sunglasses. Anyway, so there's <laughs> sunglasses guy. I, hope, I, I really hope this hypothesis is peer reviewed. So there's a thread in rock and roll where it's always like a kind of a beautiful, usually long haired gentleman who rocks, but becomes a placeholder for a teen idol in the 90s. Eddie Vedder and Chris Cornell absolutely fit this bill. My my biggest offender is Jeff Buckley, who I don't think is actually very good. I think he's very attractive. I think that I think my quote about him is that if he looked like Randy Newman, he would have never been signed, and no one would ever have got into his. Music. I mean, he would have been signed, but because of his well, dad. I, I'd like to we might be taking a little bit of a sidetrack, but I'd like to mention that one of your favorite artists of all time is absolutely the A number one mimbo. Marky Mark? <laughs> Evan Dando of the Lemonheads is the ultimate 90s mimbo. He is a mimbo. That's, that's a, he is a mimbo yeah. who is very, he is a very good songwriter. He may and still I've met be him a and he's mimbo. a mimbo. Maybe we should do a mimbo episode. Maybe we should do a mimbo episode. <laughs> that's a good idea. I think the worst is Mark Bolin. I think that Mark Bolin, this is a little off topic, but Mark Bolin has made a lot of great music, but I think... Everything about him is as stupid as Jim Morrison or Ricky Martin or anyone else who is just like kind of a, 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 a sexy type. But let's go back to your original point because so you're saying uh, Jim Morrison may be a mimbo, which ultimately could be a deficit, but you're saying you love the doors despite that or because of that? This is your definition, so I'm just trying to work uh, within it, your framework I guess I was, here. I was trying to say is that he kind of is the essential rock and roll mimbo. It's kind of like, and you're saying there's a place for that. Is like, he have, the is he the first mimbo? Have there been had there been any ooh, mimbos before him? I think that the hmm. only, I think the concept would only matter uh, when people start making their own records. The you're song, talking about like in the in the, the framework of something like Motown like, or something. Like the it's artist is yeah, exactly. Like of course they want good looking people to sing pop music. Right. But when the rock auteur type starts to become popular, which is really only after the Beatles and Beach Boys came out. Right. Pretty much those are these were the first that was the first model. Even Mick and Keith didn't write much for a couple records. I think that's fair, but I think if you wanted to go back, you could definitely make a case well, for no, Elvis. Elvis yeah, El yeah. Mimbo. I mean Jim Morrison is, is similar to Elvis a lot of ways, you know. But I think you're right though that it's it's not even a real you can't really analyze that because you he's not writing the material. Who knows what what would have been mm -hmm. if if it had been a different era where he's a singer songwriter. You it, yeah. it's a little bit it's Roger a little bit Daltrey unfair. is a mimbo. Pete Townsend is the glasses guy. There, there's a paradigm in rock and roll is the mimbo and the glasses guy, basically. And, and so, so it's, it's like, like spectrum. So it's like Elvis Presley emerges. He is a mimbo. Buddy Holly, a glasses guy, writes his own songs. <laughs> hey, I write my own songs. Do you write your own songs, Elvis? No, I don't wear my own songs. You know? <laughs> You know, uh, Pete and wait, is somewhere on the spectrum like Johnny Cash, right? Like, cause like sometimes no, he he's does a hard man. 
He's, so is that off the wait, spectrum? What is, he's what is, a different type of masculinity, the rugged man. I thought there was only two. <laughs> so this is no, a separate the, spectrum. No, no, the rugged man is another type. John Fogarty, the rugged man. Neil Young, the rugged man. Tom Waits, the rugged man. Let's get back to the tours. <laughs> <laughs> so what is the case you're making for the mimbo factor of the doors? Is that that's a positive thing to you, despite you saying it's no, sort it's of not, a negative and all other scenarios? It's not a positive thing to me. I think that since they, I think they're really good for a mimbo band because, like, because I'm saying like like uh, like John Lennon obviously is a much smarter man than fucking Jim Morrison. Ray Davies is obviously a much smarter man than Jim Morrison. Jim Morrison is sort of like a dude, but there's something interesting about that. Like, there, he he is a good pr- protagonist. Somehow, if to if, me, if the doors existed now and there was, you know, you were at a show, you are playing a show, and there's another band going on, and they are the doors, and there's a man there who is Jim Morrison, a mimbo. Wouldn't you be like, fuck this guy? He doesn't deserve to be on the same stage as me because he's just like in leather pants howling, <laughs> and you, Jamie, a a glasses guy, is is up there. Singing your own songs, writing your own lyrics, and you know I mean, Jim you Morrison are, wrote his lyrics. Sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that's like a case. They're against great them, for a mimbo. They're great lyrics for. A mimbo. I am just, I'm just asking the question. I am just asking the question. Would you feel about the Doors the same way if you had to share a stage with them? Well, I think I would probably start out hitting them, and then when I realized they rocked, I would like them <laughs> because I think the Doors fucking rock. <laughs> I don't know why, what the genetics with you guys where you don't think that I don't. they rock, but I listened to Doors all weekend and I was enjoying listening to fucking rock. I think, I think <laughs> they fucking rock. I have, I have like celiac disease before. Rock. People from South Brooklyn love the Doors. Why? The Doors fucking rock. They're not thinking about anything we talk about. They like it. I hear fucking the Doors coming out of people's cars in South Brooklyn and shit and Queens and shit because those people aren't thinking about I this think, fucking rock uh, critic argument. I was thinking, does Jim Moore Right, of course he fucking I will say rocks. South Brooklyn is also the largest concentration in the world of mimbos. <laughs> Scientifically, it like, takes one true. to know one. I would, yeah, I would know. By the way, being from South Brooklyn, just all mimbos. Zinger's a secret mimbo. <laughs> secret mimbo, emerging mimbo. <laughs> Jamie, I have no interest in a rock critic argument over if the Doors are good or not. I will go exactly to your point and say I do not think the Doors rocked. If the doors rocked, I would love it. But here's a perfect example. The Kinks sue the doors because they say that um, a Hello, I Love You is a ripoff of All Day and All Night. I love the Kinks. I absolutely love All Day and All Night. I think Hello, I Love You is trash. It doesn't. One song rocks very hard. One song does not. One song sounds to me like a beginner lesson in uh, a keyboard book you would buy a child. We could play chopsticks or we could play this fucking thing. It That doesn't rock to me at all. But tell me what I'm missing in that. I don't even think that's the most rocking Doors song. I think they have plenty of material that rocks. I, I I don't have like a particular... like. I definitely think that some of the songs you hear on classic radio... Like have ruined the doors, maybe because I think that. But I think that's true about the Rolling Stones. Like, if you heard Angie and you can't always get what you want all the time, would you think the Stones were that great? You definitely would not. And I think the Kinks. They also only play three songs by the Kinks. Anyway, I think that the Doors, if you take them outside of the classic rock radio context, 
are more interesting than that. Like every other band that's included in this canon. They're, the canon is a reductive canon, and I don't like Hello, I Love You that much. I think Hello, I Love You is a little silly. I think that Touch Me sounds like meatloaf and is corny, but that's not the doors that sparks me up, you know? I, uh, I have a question for John, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, for this episode, you had to listen to the doors mm-hmm. a bunch. What is your ultimate takeaway from that? In, in a similar vein about um, when we're talking about Queen. I hold Queen in a higher esteem, but I think it still applies. I found this music to mostly be interesting and not enjoyable to me. I thought I could hear, I can hear aspects of what you're describing, Jamie. It's funny because you were, you were debasing the sort of rock critic argument, but if I put on the rock critic hack for a second, I try to see it in context of being something different, being something darker, maybe the influences that they had on people I would come to love, like Iggy Pop and Patti Smith. Sure, I can appreciate that. But especially with the guitar playing, I know you said you, you like Robbie Krieger, but... I, I, the guitar playing feels really uninspired to me. It feels like, you know, just very basic blues rock playing that I know we differ on what we like in that, but I mean, I don't even, I don't even like Clapton. And I think Clapton is a more inspired sort of version of this than the doors are. That's another, uh, when, when we get to Clapton, (laughs) we're going to have a talk. I think the the aesthetic, I think something I've always had trouble with, and here's something I try to do, because I always want to grow as a listener. I always want to grow as a fan. I would love nothing more than to listen to The Doors today and say, you know what? I was wrong. I think I'm starting to get it. I'm starting to enjoy it. Sometimes for me, I don't know, maybe other, maybe you guys have had this happen to you with certain artists. Maybe listeners have. Sometimes if there's a certain aesthetic that feels so stuck in a certain era or a certain style, it's hard for me to move past it. So in the way these records are produced, especially in terms of the organ sounds, in terms of Raymond Zarek's playing, and also the limited nature of, there's just not even that much guitar in this music to begin with. All of that speaks to me as an an overarching aesthetic that feels dated and it feels alienating to me, to my ears, I guess as a modern listener. I also, however, had this problem for many years with Bruce Springsteen. Listening to a lot of his 80s output, the things you hear on the radio, it can be hard to get past that classic 80s rock record sound. And it wasn't for many years that I was able to eventually look past that, hear other sides of that, maybe live tracks, maybe other albums. And then I could listen to that material and hear the songwriting and hear the different playing and the different uh, guitar parts and all these things that were really totally overshadowed for me by a gated drum sound or a loud synth. And I think something like that, especially in my ears, it can be hard for me to hear Love Her Madly and hear anything other than this organ that is just unrelenting. This 60s, like this classic 60s cliche sound that is not exciting to me in a modern context. Yeah, and I, I, I do think that the doors suffer from maybe overdoing it as well because I do think that there are acts in the 60s that used organ that you can listen to now and not hate. Dylan used some organ on some of his records Absolutely. and it's not awful and you can listen to it now and it's great and it doesn't feel like it's, you know, a, too, too much of it. Listening today to light my fire, I like. I'm listening to it and eventually the chorus comes back in and I really thought this is the same fucking song is still on. (laughs) I had completely lost track of time. I could not believe it was still going. And in realizing that I said, 
this is really kind of like emblematic of of the most self-indulgent aspects of what would be jam band music and jam band culture. I guess the Grateful Dead are are probably just starting at this point, right? Dead were around. No, they were around for yeah. a little while. Yeah, yeah well, dead, yeah, like 66, 67, yeah, maybe. The Dead were doing, were way weirder than the Doors yes. in that time. The early, the early Dead makes the Doors seem like the Beatles. The early Dead is like all over the place. Yeah. I will say like also another counterpoint to the Doors is like, do you want a good like bar band? Like Thin Lizzy. Then Lizzie's a great fucking bar band. Love like they're them. just I like. I'm sure they listen to Doors. I just have no <laughs> yeah, doubt in my mind. Yeah, yeah, probably. But they I'm just saying, like, to Doors. like as a but band, Thin that, Lizzie rock. Yeah, exactly. You want to talk <laughs> Jamie. about Jamie? And and have a qualified mimbo. Would you count it? Fill in it. Phil. I mean, Phil. This is gonna has, be a new segment on the show. Mimbo or glasses. <laughs> Phil seems deep to me for hard rock. Sing- I actually would say he might be one of the most emo- more emotionally intelligent hard rock singers. I feel so like I might, I, even though he's a very beautiful man, I might discount him. Also, he had a mustache, and a lot of mimbos <laughs> do not have mustache. Wow, you know, I feel like I feel like before we start this mustache like, guy, mustache mimbo <laughs> is another category. I think the rules should be like put in front of us. You know, I don't think John and I know the rules. We need the of criteria. Gla- yeah, we need the criteria for mimbo or glasses. We're gonna have a spinoff podcast which is called "What Is Mimbo." What? <laughs> Well, you can read my book, uh, Rock Man- Masculinity 101. <laughs> Who demand now? <laughs> uh, I just have so many questions, and I know it's all going to be off track, so let's talk about Mimbos this. and glasses, guys, and rugged men. Rock and roll masculinity. Singer, thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Zingo. We love you. I love you guys. Now we're going to move on to third party goat. I don't even know uh, what we're talking about here. Uh, Jamie's going to surprise us. For my third party goat this week, I want to talk about an album called From Langley Park to Memphis by the band Prefab Sprout, who are a blue eyed soul group, I guess you would say. They're not exactly a synth pop band, they're not exactly an RB band, and they're not exactly a rock band, but they are often lumped in in a, a category which is really one of my least favorite uh, signifiers for music, Sophista-pop. I think I fell in love with this band thinking that they sucked. <laughs> and then I was like, well, I guess I'm listening to this over and over again. Or thinking that they were uh, mad corny, as we would say. <laughs> um, because there's something about them that's extremely corny, and I think that my younger self would not like this at all. However, the songwriter, Patty McAloon, I hope I'm saying that right, is one of the most complex balladeers I've ever listened to in my life. And this record from Langley Park to Memphis is in in a very Ray Davies way, like like an English view of America. There's a lot of stuff about America. It starts off with a song called The King of Rock and Roll, which is a fully ridiculous and salty song. It's basically about a failed Elvis telling the woman he's with like, oh, I used to be the king of rock and roll and now he's uh, he's fat and bloated. And the sound of the track is absolutely ridiculous and the lyrics of the song are absolutely biting. Prefab Sprout is a band that uh, is very, very soulful in a plastic way like David Bowie described on the Young Americans record. And again, it's like, I'm surprised I like this so much and I don't know if a lot of people would like it, but... If you like songwriting and you like ballads, this album is 
chock full. It has this great song called Hey Manhattan, imagining Manhattan from someone who's never been there. And that's compelling to me. It has Stevie Wonder on harmonica. <laughs> that's really strange. <laughs> it also features Pete Townsend on guitar. I guess this band was really popular in this particular year that they got these people. But uh, the track, the second track is called Cars and Girls. And might be my favorite song that I've discovered in the past five years or something like that. Um, it's not for everybody, but I don't think that they ever made it in America at all. So I don't really know how many Americans are really into Prefab Sprout. So if you, let's say you, if you like, one time I tried to say like, maybe they're like the Smiths if they were trying to do Prince or something like that, or like Orange Juice if they were more um, romantic. You mentioned the term sophistapop. What does that uh, what does that entail? Is that just a way of uh, separating sort of high art and low art in terms of pop music? Well, I hate this term, and I always say it's like sounds pretty like least classist or snobby. Like sophistapop, more sophisticated than what James Brown? More sophisticated than what the Rolling Stones? I don't know. I think it's basically pop music that instead of drawing from the rock and roll or like the more um, sort of basic singles kind of dance music. Like it's like it has an R&B element, but with jazzy chord changes, it's possible it's the English um, counterpart to Yacht Rock, which I hate pretty much. And I hate the term Yacht Rock too, but it's music that uh, has a lot of chord changes and maybe uses uh, jazz theory. Sade is considered Sophistapop. It didn't absolutely make sense to me, um, but there's something in Prefab Sprout that kind of sounds like Chade, whereas um, slightly a mature sound, I guess we would say. Anyway, I think if you like pop, you should give this band a try because it's definitely some of the brainiest, most interesting pop I've gotten into the past few years and is a humongous influence on the record that we are about to release. Thank you so much for listening to What is Goat? I'm John Savernapolillo. I'm Jamie Fry. 